I'm wondering if you've ever been thirsty. I'm wondering if you've ever been really thirsty. You know, maybe you binged on Red Rooster or pizza one night and you woke up at midnight with a real sense of thirst. Maybe, this is probably more unlikely, you went running. Um, <laughs> we love food here. I feel like there's a strong value for food amongst the Oasis community. Um, you know what they say about it comes from the top and trickles down. But anyway, um, or maybe you played a game of basketball and afterwards there was a significant feeling of thirst. You know, for mums when they're feeding their babies, it's a very thirsty exercise. You get very thirsty. Or maybe you just went without a drink of water all day and by the end of the day you found yourself really, really parched and very, very thirsty. Has anyone in the room ever, show me your hands, come on, we're going to interact a little bit this morning. Okay, we've all felt thirsty. You know, before um, I went to India, I went on a mission trip. I can't actually remember if it was 97 or 99. How terrible is that? I'm starting to show my age. But we were going into um, India, into remote communities, and we were going to preach. We were hosting big rallies. Um, you know, hundreds, sometimes thousands of people were coming to hear us preach. Then we were going to lay hands on the sick. And so it was a big deal stepping into another nation to do that. And I was only 19 at the time, I think. I think I have to really find out. But um, my um, leader at the time said, well, we're going to do a three-day fast and we're fasting food and water. And oh my gosh, it was torture. It was extreme torture. I would get in the shower and just open my mouth and gargle, and I, I didn't want to, you're not allowed to swallow it, you know, you're not allowed to quench your body, but just having that water in my mouth, it was so amazing, and the thought that I had to then spit it out was like, oh my gosh, I don't think I could do this, but I managed, I, and I have to tell you, I didn't get three days done, it was just way too hard, it was way too thirsty, but I did two days, and um, it was an incredible experience in India, and that's a story for another time. But I would have taken any liquid at that point to quench my thirst. Any liquid to quench my thirst. And you know, Proverbs 27, 27 says, A person who is full refuses honey. But even bitter food tastes sweet to the hungry. What if you knew someone who was desperately thirsty? Would you stop to give him a drink of water? What if you were walking down the street with a large bottle of water and there were people who came running up to you, parched, thirsty, dry mouths, begging you for water? Would you give it? Would you share what you had with someone else who was thirsty in that moment? It's like, you know, in the movies when they're walking through the desert or when they're on their horse in the desert and they... They've got their faces covered with sand and dust and they've got a drinking canteen and they pull it out and they slow motion, they lift it up and one drop comes out of that canteen. Maybe that was in The Three Amigos. Uh, not The Three Amigos. Was it The Three Amigos? The Three... No, no, it was The, the Three Amigos. When that, anyway, m hilarious, hilarious. Anyway... You know, when my daughter Anna is thirsty, you better get that girl a drink of water ASAP because she's going to shout you down 
until you put water in that girl's hand. She does not have patience. If she's thirsty, you need to get her hydrated ASAP. But this morning, I want to tell you that prophetically, the global church is changing. For many years, God has poured out his spirit in the context of a church. If you look back at history and famous renewals and revivals that took place in churches, it was in church. It was in the context of church. People would fly to other nations, to other cities in the world where there was an outpouring to get filled up, to get refreshed with the Holy Spirit. But I'm telling you now that globally, the church is changing. The prophets of the world right now are speaking, and this is what they're saying. Go and get them. Reach your community, because your community is not coming here on a Sunday. I believe, church, that the biggest revival that the earth has yet to see is coming. And it's not coming to a church. It's going to happen outside of church walls. It's a new time. It's a new time. You know, our community out there, the people that we pray for, the people that we believe for, they're not going to wake up on a Sunday morning and say, oh, we're going to go to church today. Why would they do that? Unless it was a significant move of the Holy Spirit in someone's life that slapped them across the face as they woke up and said, get to Oasis Church. Let me tell you, they're not coming. If I woke up one morning as a non-Christian and I've had a sense that I needed to know God, church wouldn't be my first option. But you know what would? Someone who knew him, that would be my first option. That's a safe step to take, right? You know, Luke 14, 21 to 23 says this. The context of it is that Jesus is holding a banquet and the people that he wanted to come were too busy to come to his feast. No, I'm getting married that weekend, I can't come. No, I'm busy doing that that weekend, I can't come. And so Jesus says to his servants, go out quickly, go out into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in, bring in the poor, bring in the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. And the master says to the servants, go out to the roads, Oasis Church. Go out to the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. Church, we are living in a parched, thirsty world. And who are we giving a drink to? Who are we compelling? Who are we extending an invitation to? Because we've got a choice to make about how we're going to respond to this message this morning. People are looking for Jesus and they don't even know it. You know, when we started Oasis Church two and a half years ago, <laughs> amazing, can't even believe it, it's gone so very fast, but I remember being in the car with, with Kate, actually. We're in America and we're praying for, for Oasis Church and we're asking God to speak to us. And um, God gave us this scripture out of Isaiah 43, 18 to 21, and it was so profound at that moment. It was like God was declaring what Oasis Church would be all about. 
And it says this, forget the former things. At that time, I needed to hear that. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness. I am creating streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, that I form for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. From the very beginning, Oasis Church has been called to be a thirst-quenching church. Not you and I, all of us. We are called to be a thirst-quenching church. Can you say it with me? We are called to be a thirst-quenching church. There's a beautiful story in John 5, which is the evidence of Isaiah 43. And it's this beautiful passage where we see Jesus giving life water to the woman at the well. I just want to read it to you this morning. It's quite long, so just get comfortable, but it's on the, it'll pop up on the screens. It's this beautiful story of Jesus' compassion, but let's read it. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees, the religious people, had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Okay, that's the introduction to this story. <laughs> Competition. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but it, his, it was his disciples. So he left Judea, he'd had enough, didn't want to Im- involve himself in competition, and he went back once more. He went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had gone through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. I don't know how you say that, how to go. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman, despised the Samaritans were by Jews, came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan, why were they not with him? Interesting question. The Samaritan woman woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us water from the well and drank from from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. Come on, we want this water so that I won't get thirsty and I won't have to keep coming back to the well. She was thinking about her immediate needs. He told her, go and get your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. 
Jesus said to her, well, you're right about that when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands. I mean, come on, one is enough. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus said, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. And I'm going to unpack that in a moment. For they are the kind of worshippers the fathers seek. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship him in the Holy Spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming and when he comes, he will explain everything to us because she's bamboozled at this point. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. A beautiful story full of lots of depth and I just want to pull a few things out this morning. And the first thing that I want to show you this morning is that culturally, the normal time for a woman to go to the well to collect water was first thing in the morning for her family. She would go and draw it out for the day. Or if she needed more, she would go again in the late afternoon when it was cool because they lived in a desert and it was hot. Yet we see this woman rocking up to the well to draw water at noon in the middle of the day, the hottest time of day. And we see Jesus meeting her there at the hottest time of day. Disciples, nowhere to be seen, a setup for a holy interaction. It's possible that the woman didn't want to go early in the morning is because she was immoral and quite unliked by the other women in the community. And so we see this setup. We see a Jewish man interacting with a Samaritan woman who has the audacity to ask her for a drink. And they have a strange interaction. This woman didn't know that she needed a drink of living water. She was going about her chores. She was minding her own business. She was avoiding the crowd, trying to stay isolated. And yet here she ends up at the well and a stranger asks her for a drink and then steers her into spiritual topics. She wasn't seeking God. She didn't know she needed him. The guilt that she probably felt for having five different husbands and a current live-in boyfriend probably kept her guilty and trying to steer clear of God. I, I am not worthy of any of that. It's just better for me if I run and stay away because God couldn't accept me the way that I am. The only explanation for this story, for this encounter, is that Jesus was seeking a sinner who wasn't seeking him. He was wanting to give this woman a drink that she didn't know she needed. So then what is the application for us? 
as Christians. We, we want to be like Christ. The Bible tells us to be like Christ. So then what is the application for us? The application is this, Oasis Church, that we should be a people seeking out unlikely candidates in our world to give them a drink. That's the application for us out of this story. So let's just talk about that for a minute. The first thing I want to address is that sometimes with our mortal eyes, focusing on external things, we decide who needs a drink and who doesn't. You know, we look at someone who's dressed nicely, drives a nice car, has a good job, and we decide, you know what? They're doing okay. They probably don't need a drink of living water. We decide. That's the wrong mentality. That is not the correct mentality to decide who needs a drink. Just one passage before, one section before, one encounter previous to the encounter of the woman at the well. Jesus was having an encounter, very similar encounter, with a man called Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was a religious man. He was a devout man. He had laid down his life to serve in the temple. And yet, he snuck in at night so that no one would see him to speak with Jesus. When they were having a conversation, Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, truly I say to you, can you imagine if he walked around saying, Elise, truly I say to you, that unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He was saying to Nicodemus that your religious lifestyle is not enough. It is not sufficient. Your external religious practices are not enough. You need a drink of living water for your insides. Come on, church. The contradiction, the comparison between Nicodemus and the woman at the well, we don't even get her name, is immense. Nicodemus and the unnamed Samaritan woman are as different as they could be. He was a Jewish man. She was a Samaritan woman, a mix of Jew and something else, a half-breed. They were called mean names. They were despised by Jews. Nicodemus educated and orthodox in the faith. She, the unnamed woman, was uneducated. She had no faith. He was an influential leader. She was a nobody, probably unliked. He was upper middle class. She was lower class. He was morally upright. She was immoral. He sought out Jesus. She didn't. He sought her out. He came to Jesus at night to hide. She was found by Jesus in the middle of the day. Nicodemus responded slowly and rationally. The woman responded quickly and emotionally. If I hear any of the men say anything about that, you're in trouble. <laughs> but they both needed Jesus. They both needed a drink of living water. It wasn't based on an external perspective 
or whether Jesus thought, well, that woman, hmm, she's been married for a time. She could possibly need a drink more than Nicodemus. No, it wasn't like that. Everybody, everybody needs a drink of living water. The fact that Jesus was ready at noon and he was ready at night symbolizes to us that we have living water coming out from us and that we need to be ready whenever the need arises. Whenever the need arises. And I want to tell you it'll be inconvenient. It'll be annoying and frustrating because you'll be walking into a petrol station about to pay for your fuel and there'll be someone sitting there who will need your attention. The kids are in the car. It's an inconvenient time. You're on your way to work. It's never going to be convenient for you to stop and give someone a drink. You just need to know that. It's not like, okay, today's Sunday. (laughs) Hallelujah, the holy day of the week. Use me today, Jesus. It's not going to work like that for you because people aren't lining up at the door on Sunday needing a drink. They're in your workplaces. They're in the place where you study. They're in the school drop-offs. They're wherever you are at every single day. And you need to be ready like Jesus was ready. Amen? The second thing I want to just draw out, and this is interesting to me, with all the people that Jesus interacted with, here's how he figured out if they were ready for a drink. Because not everybody was ready. But here's how he figured it out. He tested them for truth. He tested them for the truth. To the woman at the well, he said to her, bring your husband to me. He tested her to see what her response would be in that moment. She could have said, my husband is too busy. My husband passed away. My husband is at work. But instead, in that moment, church, she opened herself up to the truth of her situation, her sinful situation. And this showed Jesus that she was ready for a drink. And Jesus responds to her and he says, this is how you get living water. You worship the Father in the Holy Spirit and in truth. Truth is important. To Nicodemus, he said this, John 3. He said, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth, your truth, comes into the light. So that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Let me say it this way. The truth is highly important and highly underrated. The truth here is talking about you being honest about your life situation, your truth. 
your honest assessment about your own life situation. No excuses. No justification. Well, I don't have time to pray because I'm so busy. No illusion, twisting scripture to suit your sin. Well, I only drink six nights of the week. I have one night off. It's Sunday, the holy day. (laughs) Be honest. Be truthful about the reality, the condition of your life. That's what Jesus wants from you. He wants you to be who you are, all that you are, the mess that you are, in the sin that you're in, before God, and let him do the changing in the midst of your worship. There's something, church, about acknowledging the truth in our lives (laughs) that reveals to us our desperate need for a saviour. If we go about our lives lying to ourselves about our state... We don't need a saviour. We don't need someone to pick us up out of the dirt off the ground where we're digging around looking for water, messed up, in sin, dirty, groveling. We don't don't think we need a saviour when we lie to ourselves. But when we can come in truth, this is who I am. This is me, messed up doing X, Y, and Z, I've made excuses, I've justified, I've decided to live in an illusion and then convince yourself that God is happy with your illusion, that's not the truth. That's not the truth. We need to worship God in spirit and in truth. And you know, that's how Jesus tested people to see whether they were ready for a drink. And in the same way, that's how we can test someone or that's how we can know if someone's ready for a drink. If someone comes to us or we come to them in a conversation, if someone starts being honest with us about the real state of their lives, not that, oh yeah, I'm good, everything's good. Yeah, we're all good. We're fine. Yeah, yeah, you know, busy, busy. (laughs) Someone who doesn't know Jesus has a conversation with you and is honest about where they're at in their life. That's an invitation for you to give them a drink, to give them some living water. That's authentic worship. You know what? I've got some people in my life that I've been walking with for 10 years and they're still not ready to be honest. And I don't say to them, are you ready to be honest about the real state of your life? Because I see you doing da-da-da-da-da-da-da. They're not ready. But when they are, they'll let me know. And then that will be an inroad for me to say, you know what? Jesus is here and he can give you living water that never runs dry. Okay, and my final point is this. Is that the water that you received is a gift to you, but it's also something that you must pass on. You know, the woman at the well, she received that day a gift. 
the gift of living water. And then a little bit later in that book of John, it says, many Samaritans believed because of the woman's testimony. So she received her drink, woman at the well. She drank it in, but then she went straight out and issued the water to whoever would listen. And it's recorded in the Bible that many people believed because of her story, because of her fountain that Jesus gave her. We have the ability to give water to the thirsty. You have living water within you that refreshes whoever you come in contact with if you will allow it. You have a choice whether you will allow that water to bubble up and to reach the people around you or whether you push it down. In John 7:37, Jesus said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers, will flow rivers of living water. The water, the living water that Jesus is referring to is flowing. It's bubbling up. It's meant to move. The pattern for water is to flow, to move, to bubble up. Opposed to that is that water which is collected in a cistern and sits stale and stagnant. And in Jeremiah 2.13, the Lord actually rebukes his people. He says this, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. God is saying to you today, let the fountain within you flow. And don't be a hoarder of that life water that you have received. Don't keep it locked down in a cistern where the water becomes stale and brackish. Brackish and mosquitoes lay their lava and it becomes stagnant. And then it becomes putrid because you've locked it down and you're not willing to share the gift that God has given you with anybody else. Come on, church, let the water that Jesus Christ has given you, let it bubble up, let it overflow, let it reach the people that you come in contact with every day. That's its purpose. You're called to be a fountain, not a cistern. You're called to bubble up, not push down. Luke 6.37 says, give away your life, give it away. You'll find life given back. Trust me, church, when you give your life away, you won't find an empty hole at the bottom of your barrel. God will pour it back. He'll pour it back. He'll pour it back. Not only will he pour it back, not only will he merely give it back, he will give it back with bonus and blessing. That's what the Word of God says. Giving, not getting is the way. Generosity begets generosity. Come on, church. Are you hearing me this morning? I know I'm giving you a hard message. I know I'm shaking you up this morning. I know I'm slapping you around the face with love a little bit. But come on, we need to hear this stuff. We're the hope of the world. That's what the church does. We administer the love of Jesus Christ to the broken world. When you become a dispenser of water instead of a hoarder, 
of water. Your life becomes bigger and better, full with blessing and bonuses. That's the word of God. That's the word of God. So don't be an off-smelling, stinky Christian because you're not passing the water around. I say this all the time, but the people in your world who don't know Jesus, they're your responsibility. 